You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. All right, we're going to get started. So if you haven't yet... What? Oh, yeah, if you haven't yet, grab some coffee, grab a snack. Just got to talk loud. Okay. Can everybody hear me? Okay, I'll project. I did a little bit of uh, high school theater, so try and call that to mind, projection. Does everyone have a folder? Does anyone need one? Okay, great. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Thank you for taking a night out of your week to be here with us. David and I are so excited for this study. Uh, We've been praying a lot about it with Pastor Riz and talking about it, and um, we're finally here. It's finally starting. I am going to just open us up in prayer and then uh, we'll chat a little bit about what this study is going to look like and the format of tonight and then the next five weeks. So let's pray together. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for the opportunity to get together with brothers and sisters and sit down, open your word and read about you and who you are, your goodness, your faithfulness, and your character. Um, I pray over tonight and the next four weeks as we are in the book of Ruth, God, I pray that we would not walk away the same. We would walk away changed and transformed by your word. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So uh, as we are getting into our study tonight, I wanted to share with you guys uh, a couple of goals that David and I have for these weeks uh, together. Uh, And we felt that there were kind of two main focuses that we want to have for our time together. The first is, of course, that we're going to be studying through the book of Ruth. Um, It is a beautiful, powerful book. And so, of course, our first goal is that we would be affected by the book of Ruth that we would walk away from our study changed and transformed by this book. And as David and I have been studying in preparation for tonight and the next few weeks, um, I think we all know if we're familiar with Ruth that it is a beautiful story on its own. Um, But something that's really been highlighted to us is that it's so applicable to our world and to today and what's going on around us. And so I'm really excited for us to get into some of the application of the book of Ruth. Um, So that's always our first and foremost goal, that we walk away from our study of any book of the Bible, changed, transformed, looking more like Jesus. Uh, But the second goal that we have for our study tonight is also for us to strengthen our skills in Bible study. So for those of you who've come to uh, the study that we did on Jonah, Uh, You know that this isn't going to be a lecture, but this is going to be an actual study where we're all getting into the Word together. And so it's our hope and our prayer that these nights will be a bit like a practice time for us, uh, kind of sharpening our skills in engaging with Scripture. And that these skills you guys can take 
into your own personal studies, whatever you're studying at home, maybe with a family member, a friend, um, so that it doesn't just end with Ruth, but it's something that we're growing in as a church family. Um, a few logistical things. So this is going to be a five-week study. Um, tonight, we're going to be laying the foundation for the book. So tonight's going to be very uh, much setting the stage for the book itself. And then the next four weeks, we're just going to take a chapter every week, and we're going to be diving into the four chapters of Ruth together. There is no homework. Um, so all the study that we're doing is going to be happening right here together. Um, if you can't come every week, that's no problem. I know we've said that on Sunday in our announcements. Like, life happens. I know everyone can't be here every week. Still come back. Even if you can only make one or two, we'd rather have you here um, studying together. So don't worry about it if you can't come to all five. Um, and then the last thing I want to say about just the format of this study is that it's designed to be interactive. Um, we want to learn from each other. And so you guys know this if you were at our Jonah study. There's going to be a lot of discussion at your tables and with one another. And this is one of my favorite things about this style of study because I know I'm going to learn a lot from you guys and from your perspective, and we're going to learn from one another. Um, I think that Bible study best happens in community. And so that's hopefully what these nights are going to be. Not so much a lecture format. Dave and I are going to facilitate. But really what we're facilitating is our learning together and us bringing our perspectives and sharing with one another. So please don't hesitate to participate, to jump in if you feel comfortable, share your perspective. That's what these nights are going to be designed for. Um, so a little bit more of a workshop style um, than a lecture, if that makes sense. All right, so uh, if you guys have the binders that we gave to you, um, go ahead and open them up, and David is going to come up and walk us through a little bit more about like what this study is going to look like and the format. All right, this microphone is for like our live stream, so that's why you can't hear it louder in the audience. Thanks, Zach and Riz for setting this up. I can't get this thing in my ear. Everyone's <laughs> staring at me. How do you do this? Do I? I feel kind of foolish. Is it just like my giant head? There we go, wait. Uh, no. Close enough? Okay. All right, well, while I'm doing this, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and tell them your favorite thing to do on the weekend in like 10 seconds because I just got it. All right. I know that was fast, but. <laughs> all right. Well, it's really good to have all of you here tonight. Thanks for taking time out of your busy week to join us. Like Abby said, um, we're really excited, and we've been talking about this class with Pastor Riz for, 
it feels like forever. I think it was before Christmas, maybe. So it feels like it's been forever. But um, we're really excited to be here with you guys and to learn together. And I don't know if you guys heard me on a few Sundays ago in the announcement, but I am really genuinely in like love with this book and kind of like blown away at how just amazing it is and how much truth and relevance there is for our lives. And I've been talking about it a lot, just like in our house and stuff like that. And every time we talk, I get more and more excited about it. So I'm excited to learn with you guys and to hear um, what the Lord speaks um, through you guys. So if you haven't, if this is your first time with us, um, we are going to be going through seven steps. I know it sounds kind of scary, but seven steps um, in the book of Ruth. And if you've been to our Philemon class or our Jonah class, this is just going to be a really quick review Um, But it's good to refresh us on these steps. And then every week, we're just going to be going step one through seven over them every single week. And then you'll catch on really quick of how to do this. And like Abby said, one of the big goals is for you to learn how to study the Bible for yourself. Um, That's what Abby and I love to do. That's what we do pretty much uh, as our full-time ministry with YWAM is we just love when people can engage in Scripture well on their own, as well as in community. And so step number one is um, one that is probably pretty obvious, and it is to pray. So when we do this step, what we're doing is that we're stopping and making sure that we invite the Holy Spirit to lead us as we study, because the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired uh, the writing of Scripture. So if you have an opportunity to invite the author into our study, um, that's always a great idea. But one thing to keep in mind, too, is that we don't want to just pray and then kind of move on. But as we are reading and as we're discussing, and especially as we go into application, we need to remember how important it is that we rely on the Holy Spirit to not just help teach us, but to empower us uh, to live more like Christ. And so we're inviting the Holy Spirit to not just lead our study, but to help illuminate the text, to convict our hearts, and to trans form our lives. And I love this prayer in Psalm 119. It says, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. So if you're ever just wondering, what do I pray? It's a great thing to just kind of turn over and just read and then get into uh, your study. So that's step number one, pray. Step number two is read. I know these sound really obvious. (laughs) If you study the Bible, of course I have to read. But what, what I mean by read is before we begin our study— of this book, it's really important to read through the whole book from start to end before you begin to go verse by verse or chapter by chapter. Um, For the book of Ruth, it's four chapters, so it's very easy for us to do. Um, The book of Genesis takes three and a half, four hours, and so it's a little daunting for many of us (laughs) if you have a life. Um, But it's really important, and I promise you, if you're going to walk away with one step to implement, this would be that one, and it will dramatically change your understanding and aid in your understanding, because this read-through helps us familiarize ourselves with not just the content of the book, like what is this book about, but the context. And it's really important for us to understand the context in what we're reading, because context really defines the meaning. And most misunderstanding when it comes to the Bible comes because uh, misunderstood context. If you take a verse out of a paragraph, there's sometimes a lot of misunderstanding, but if you just put it right back in that paragraph, you're like, oh, that's really helpful. So that's what we mean by context. And we understand the importance of that, 
this and taking in mind context in, in our everyday life, especially with media. So for movies, for example, if you've never seen Star Wars, you don't know who this character is, but if you've seen Star Wars, you know exactly who this is, right? You know the meaning, you know the context for this person. And if I say the line, no, I am your father, you know exactly the context of that line. But if you've never seen Star Wars, to you, that's pretty much meaningless. But with the context, and you know the, the powerful scene that is, it's, really, it's a really great scene. So if you haven't seen it, you should. But we, we understand the importance of context, right? When we watch a movie, when we read a book. But for some reason, when it comes to the Bible, we've kind of gotten a little bit off track with that. And so hopefully you'll see through Ruth um, how that can help in our understanding. So that's step number two. So step number one is pray. Step number two is read. Step number three is genre. So although the Bible is one unified story, it's composed of 66 books that were written by over 40 different authors over a time period of 1,500 years. And it was written a long time ago, so it's, it's an old book. And I think a lot of times for us as Christians, we kind of, at least from my, my upbringing, it was like I grew up in a Christian home, so you're just given a Bible like every birthday, every Christmas, right? Here's a new one, here's a new one. And you kind of just begin to read it all in the same way. But that's not what we should do when it comes to the Bible because there's a lot of different literary styles that the authors use. Um, the most common is historical narrative, which is Ruth. Um, but there's also different styles like apocalyptic literature. Uh, there's love poetry. Um, there's letters. There's gospel. And each one of those genres, we need to understand a little bit about them because they're really going to determine how we should read and understand them. And we shouldn't be reading every book in the same way. Again, we understand the importance of genre in our everyday life. Like, for example, if you were to go to a library, which I can't remember the last time I went to a library, but um, if you go to a library, right, everything is organized according to a specific genre. So if you're going to try to look for a cookbook, you're not going to go into religion, right? So we understand the genre determines what my expectations of it. It's the same thing when it comes to the Bible. So we need to understand the genre, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later tonight. <clears throat> so that's step number three. Step number four is history. Step number four is history. And I think one of the most helpful things to keep in mind when it comes to the Bible, a principle in Bible studies, to know that the Bible was not written to us but it was written for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about that when you've opened up the Bible, but this book was not written to you and to me in the year 2022 in Honolulu, Hawaii. And so just that fact alone means that we have to some way bridge the cultural gap that lies between us and the ancient text. And so this has to do with understanding the cultural environment of the author, and their original readers, and then the characters in the story. And you're going to see this. One of the reasons why we picked Ruth is because Ruth is just jam-packed with quite bizarre uh, ancient uh, customs that are quite foreign to us. And once we understand those things, it aids in our understanding of why the characters are doing what they're doing, why they're saying what they're saying, and it's really helpful for us uh, to understand how it can be applicable 
to our lives today. So this cultural gap is something that takes place as we read. And a lot of times we don't even know because the author just assumes, right? The author assumes because they knew their readers. They assume that the readers knew what they were talking about or the cultural information uh, that they were inferring. But because we're at least 2,000 years removed from uh, the Gospel of John, for instance, may have been the last book read, there's a lot of time and culture that has changed in the past 2,000 years, right? Especially uh, where we live more in the Western world, we're dealing more with an Eastern uh, mindset when it comes <clears throat> to the Bible. And um, I think Abby shared this maybe in the Philemon seminar, but this was a cultural experience, um, a cross-cultural experience uh, when Abby and I took one of our Bible schools to Mongolia, um, this was a bad cultural experience on our part. This is Americans going and offending people accidentally. But culture is different everywhere you go. So we went to Mongolia with a, with a Bible team, and we were working with this youth group. And I was a youth pastor for a little bit at a church in Virginia Beach. And when I was a youth pastor, I would motivate the youth by giving them things. So candy, cookies, whatever, you know, just you got to feed kids in order to get them entertained um, and motivated. And I throw candy, not like at them like a baseball, but you know, if, if you're sitting there, I'm going to say, oh, great, great answer, and you throw the candy. At least for me, that's not culturally offensive. Um, we found out in Mongolia that's very offensive. Um, so <laughs> it was not me, I'll say that right now. It wasn't me who did this, but one of our team members, um, you know, we had, a, we had a bag of candy and stuff, and so we're just, you know, being Americans, and she threw a piece of candy across the room, and then all the kids just like froze. It was like, you could hear a pin drop, you know, it was like so awkward. And then, um, I can't remember if it was in that moment or later on, the guy that we were with, it was the host, he's like, in Mongolia, like, we don't throw... We don't throw gifts. So it, the fact that it was like a gift is something that's very valuable and very precious. So there's a way that you give a gift. Even if it's a piece of candy, it's like this. It's very formal. So in America, maybe in, in a youth group, uh, that's not culturally offensive. But in Mongolia, it was. And so there's a lot of difference in culture, and especially when it comes to the Bible and the book of Ruth, that we need to understand before we can really understand how and what it means for us today. So that's history. And we're going to help you in this study and teach you some of that historical background so we can all learn together. Uh, step number five is observe or observation. So this is just us familiarizing ourselves with the content of the book by asking this question, what does the text say? So if you've been with us before, this is where we get out our colored pencils. It's really simple and easy. I know there's no colored pencils tonight, but I promise next week there's colored pencils. And all we're doing is just looking at what the text says. People. Who are the people in the text? When did it take place? Where did it take place? What are the, what's the dialogue and the events? So who, what, where, when, and how? Basic questions that we just comb the text to determine what the text says. So just the facts. And it's really important why I keep emphasizing what the text says. Because in step number five, we're not trying to figure out what it means. And it's really easy for us as uh, Christians or people that read the Bible just to immediately read something and try to figure out what it means. That's just initially what we do. As soon as you read something, we're like, I'm, you're interpreting it, even if it's subconscious, to try to understand what it means. So what we want to do is understand what the text is saying as best as we can, and then use all of that information to determine what the text means. The best 
example or illustration for this is that of a detective, right? If you've ever seen Sherlock Holmes or any sort of detective movie or TV show, what does a detective do? Well, they arrive on the crime scene, and they don't immediately say, I know what happened. They look, and they look, and they look, and there's a lot of really great clips in uh, Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch's version of Sherlock Holmes of just, they just look at all the clues to try to get all the facts, and then what do they do after they've gained as much information as possible? Then they say, now I know what all of this means. Now I'm going to solve the mystery or solve the crime. And that's what we as Bible students or Bible detectives do in step number six, which is interpret or interpretation. This is where we begin to discover what the text actually means. It's here that we begin to ask why. So that's an interpretive question. Observation is asking the question, what? What does the text say? Interpretation is asking why, or what does it mean? Using all the information that we've gotten in our observation, in our history, and in our genre study, and in our reading, we then use all of that information to ask questions to determine what it all means. Now, what's really important to understand that in step number six, interpret, we're never asking, what does this mean to me? When we are interpreting, what we're doing first and foremost is we're asking the question, what did this mean to the original reader, to the author, or the characters in the story? Okay, so we're interpreting towards the author, their original readers, or the characters, the participants in the story. We ask the question, what does this mean to me in our final step of application? But we can't, for, we can't understand what the text means until we understand what the text meant. And this is, this is one of those steps that's easily um, missed, I think, as we read and as we study the Bible. We tend to just immediately think of, how does this apply to my life today? What does this mean for me today? You can't do that until you first understand what it originally meant. Otherwise, you will um, misinterpret Scripture. And again, this is that illustration of the detective, right? So we're going to solve this mystery together. We're going to use all of the facts, and we're going to ask questions. And we're going to begin to understand why Ruth said this, or why Naomi did that, or why Boaz did that, right? And that's what we're doing in the sixth step of interpretation. And then finally, our seventh step is the most important step, and the goal of our Bible study is apply or application. So step number seven is our goal— it's to learn how to apply the ancient truths that we're learning to our modern lives. We don't ever want to be people that come together, that talk about the Bible, that debate theology or argue about theology, and then just never apply anything to our lives. Those people are not fun people to be around. So if we come together and we learn a lot of really cool stuff, but we're not actually transformed by it, then we have wasted our time, and we should be doing something else. Right? So information that we get should always lead to transformation. And it's going to seem like we spend a lot of time, and then at the very end we do the application. So it doesn't seem like it's that important, but I promise you this is our goal. And when we learn things, when we study here together, or like on a Sunday morning, or maybe in your own personal time with the Lord— you may learn things, and you may begin to apply it, but it's kind of when you step out of that environment into, like, the real world where you really have to start applying it, right? 
So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, that sounds really great, and it seems kind of easy, but then as soon as you get into the real world, it's like that's hard to really actually love your neighbor as yourself. And that's why it's important to remember we begin with prayer, but we always need to invite the Holy Spirit to be able to actually empower us to live that out in our lives. I love this passage. It's kind of an intense one, but this is Jesus in Luke chapter 6, 46. He says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Right? So there's this emphasis that Jesus has on not just being people who hear the word, James will say this later on, who just deceive yourselves, but it's the, it's the true follower of Christ is the one who actually does it. And so, um, just to quickly review the seven steps, the first step is pray, the second step is to read, the third step is to understand the specific genre, step number four is to discover the historical and cultural setting of the Bible, step five is to observe the text, discovering what the text says, step number six is to interpret, which is to ask the question, what does the text mean? but not to me, but to the author, the readers, and the characters in the story. And then step number seven, which is the goal of our study, is to apply the scripture to our lives. And so those are the seven steps that we're going to be um, not just introducing tonight or reviewing tonight, but it's going to be something that we continue to do together in the next four sessions. All right, so now, wait. Now you guys are experts, you know the steps, you're ready to do them, you're ready to dive in. Uh, David kind of mentioned this, but this is just a brief overview, so if you're hearing all that and you're going, I actually don't know how to put that into practice yet, we're going to guide you through it, through this study, but that's kind of the why behind the study and why it looks the way it does, why it might be a little bit different than some of the studies you've done before. Um, that's kind of the heart behind the seven steps. And hopefully, if this seems unfamiliar now, by the end of the study, you may even feel comfortable enough to go home, pick a book, and do one on your own, even. That would be amazing. So, here's where we are interactive, and we're going to do this together. So, uh, step number one is to pray and invite the Holy Spirit into our study. So, could I get someone to volunteer to do that for us? Just kind of open up the book of Ruth with uh, a prayer. first person. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. All right, so what we're going to do now is, like David said, we're going to be reading the book of Ruth, start to finish the whole book right now. Ruth is beautiful partly because it's very easy to do this. There's only four chapters. We've printed out the book for you just so that we can all be reading off the same translation. That'll kind of 
uh, give us some unity in what we're reading and talking about. Um, Before we actually read the text, um, I want to remind you, one, this is so that we can get the big picture of the story. So next week, we're going to be diving into chapter one, and we don't want to interpret chapter one without actually seeing the big picture first. So as we read the story, we're just kind of taking it all in. We're soaking in the story. Uh, Some of you, this might be your first time reading the book of Ruth. Others of you might be really, really familiar with this story. Uh, My suggestion is either way, approach this story with fresh eyes, a fresh mindset. Um, Let the story speak for itself. So kind of set aside what you know about the story and just let this story speak on its own. And as you read, I'm going to ask you guys to kind of keep an eye out for two things. Um, just, Just be looking out for these two things as we read. The first is if you notice any repeated words or themes, okay? Uh, We're not observing yet. This is just sort of anything that jumps out at you. You're like, wow, I really saw this theme coming through in the story. Or this one word, I noticed it got repeated a lot. Just kind of tuck that away. If you want to write in the margins, go for it. So just sort of be listening for repeated words or themes. And then the second thing is notice the mood or the emotion of the story, okay? Because this is a narrative, we want to pay attention to the emotion that we're feeling through the characters. Is it joy? Is it grief? Is it hope? Is it fear? Um, So just sort of pay attention to those two things as we read. Any repeated words or the different emotions that you can pick up on through the story, okay? And then when we're done, we're going to discuss some of those things that we noticed. All right, so I'm going to kick us off by reading chapter one, but if I could get a volunteer to read chapter two for me. Someone like reading? Sweet. Chapter two. Would you like to read chapter three? Sure. And then chapter four. Yeah, real nice and loud. <laughs> That's not intimidating at all. <laughs> Need one more reader. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then we're going to follow along. And again, if you have a pen in your hand and you notice one of these two things, go ahead and make a note of it. And then we'll talk about it when we're done. We ready? All right. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, 
for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest.
Great job. All right, we, we did it. First reading, thank you to the volunteers. Malia, great job with the little genealogy surprise at the end with all the names. Okay, so there's our big picture. This is the story. We haven't gotten into the details. We haven't gotten verse by verse, but we've got the big picture. So we're going to do just a little discussion, kind of a reflection on what we just read. So I'm going to have you guys, I guess you guys are in groups, kind of at your table, or you might need to shuffle around just a little bit to get into groups. And I want you to share uh, with the people around you, first of all, just your first impressions, okay? No right or wrong answer, just what do you think of the book? What was your first impression of the story? And then afterwards, uh, maybe share with each other whether or not you saw um, some repetitions, the emotions of the book, what was standing out to you. Again, this is really not like right or wrong answer. This is just sharing kind of those first impressions, maybe a few things that you think are going to end up being major themes as we get into our study. So if you guys want to stay at your tables or maybe shuffle around so that you can join another group, um, I'll give you some time to discuss amongst yourselves, and then we'll, do, we'll share a little bit all together at the end.
Okay, hopefully uh, you guys have had a chance, each person's had a chance to share some of the things you were noticing. Um, I'm sorry to cut you off. <laughs> so why don't we just move that discussion a little bit to kind of the, like corporately here and maybe get a few people to share some of the things you're talking about at your table. Um, so first off, I guess, what are some maybe themes, repetitions that you guys were seeing in your first reading? Yeah. So good. Redemption. That word gets repeated often in the book, especially in chapters three and four. Uh, redeem. Who's going to redeem? Uh, Boaz calls himself the redeemer. Yeah, really good. That's both a repeated word and a theme we're going to see through the book. So good. Yeah. Anyone else want to share? Repetition theme. Yes. Yeah, and that goes into the mood as well. So... The like, first five verses of Ruth are like some of the heaviest verses. Um, yeah. The word death is repeated, loss. And then I think by the end of chapter one, um, Naomi refers to herself as being empty. So yeah, definitely um, the mood of grief. And then just this repetition of death in especially really concentrated, those first five verses. It's like she's going through it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, really, really good. So those are going to be key in the book of Ruth. Um, and you guys are probably picking up on this. Family and family relations are central to this story. Whether that's through marriage, a child, uh, even a somewhat distant relative, family connections are going to be really important. And then also descendants and bloodline. So it's going to get into the inheritance territory, like who is inheriting what and why. And we're going to be talking about that as we get into the book. How did inheritance get passed from one generation to another in the ancient world? What did that look like? Because that's a big theme in the book of Ruth. Family, inheritance, Bloodline, really great. Yeah. What else? Oh, just open it up. Impressions, mood, repetitions. What were you guys seeing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ruth is the... Yeah, she drives that. There's loyalty throughout the story. Ruth, I think embodies that in this story the most. And we'll see when we get to chapter one, even when there's no expectation for her to do, to do anything, she kind of goes above and beyond, yeah. Loyalty, family loyalty is gonna be a big theme, yeah, really good. Yeah, that's our <laughs> barley harvest gets mentioned. This is a repetition, agriculture, farming, you guys notice that like each scene kind of has a different agricultural like setting. End of chapter one, there's just that line, 
This was the beginning of the barley harvest, right? And then in another scene, this is the end of the wheat harvest. And you're reading it and you're like, is that really supposed to mean something to me? We're gonna talk about that in the next coming weeks. Yeah, the setting of this book is very much agricultural. We're in small town Israel, and this is like the lifeblood of the community. So yeah, agriculture is the setting. If this was a play, that would be like the set design, right? Agriculture, farming, that's good. Awesome. Anyone else wanna share? First impression? A word they saw repeated. Yes, so good. Yeah, an immigrant or a foreigner. Ruth is going to embody this outsider, this foreigner in a very small town where she's probably the only one from the outside. And that's going to take also center stage. How is she treated um, as someone who's not from this town, not from this country. And that's going to play a huge part in the story as well. So good. First reading. We're picking up on a lot of themes. All right, one more chance. Anyone else? I don't want to, like, cut anyone off if they really want to share something with the whole group they were seeing. Real estate, yeah. Yeah, and that goes to like the bloodline, like who's inheriting what, the property, and that goes with the farming as well. Yes, that is going to come up as well. It's a, it's a very ancient version of real estate, but that is a big topic in the book, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, uh, if you guys are familiar with the story of the Bible, there's actually not a ton of characters that we can look at and say, role model. Like, I want to be like that. And in Ruth, there's not just one, but I think there's a few people of great integrity and strong character that we can look at and say, wow, that's, a, that's actually a picture I actually want to model after. And Ruth in chapter one is the she kind of takes the center stage with that speech she gives that you're mentioning. Yeah, there's definitely characters of very strong integrity in this story, which is really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you guys for sharing. Uh, we are going to do our very next step. This is where we're going to be ending tonight. Um, and like I said, this week we're setting the stage. So next week, chapter one, we're going to be getting into it together. But these are things are going to hopefully... Uh, lay a really good foundation for us to go deep um, into each chapter. So David's going to walk us through the genre of Ruth. All right, if you guys have, um, turn to chapter one in the text. And if you brought your own Bible, it, that's great. Um, we use, in the, the one that's printed out here is the ESV. It's not because it's any better than any other ones. It's just so that we can all kind of see what everybody else is seeing. So if you point to a verse reference, it's kind of the same across the board. So if you can use that during our time, that would be awesome. Um, so step number three is 
uh, to learn a little bit about the specific genre and then how we actually should be reading this genre. And so I mentioned it briefly, just kind of offhand, but the book of Ruth is um, a historical narrative. And I mentioned that 43% of the Bible is narrative. One thing that's kind of interesting about Ruth, though, is that there's all sorts of different styles of narrative. So if you're here with Jonah, Jonah is considered to be a, kind of a satire. Uh, Ruth is what's called a comedy. And this is a common form of like a play where it begins in tragedy, but it ends with joy and happiness. So Ruth takes on the form of this comedy arc. And you see that in the first five verses, right? It's just tragic sad, depressing, but we end the book with joy and gladness. So Ruth is a historical narrative. So what I want to do is I want to just talk a little bit about, actually, if you turn, there's a little, there's a little handout in the handout. There's a literary setting. I'm just going over those points. Can someone tell me what page number it is? Eight. Thank you. On page eight. So you can have this as a reference, um, and we'll be talking about it a little bit later on, too, in the coming weeks. Um, so one thing that's important when we talk about narratives is that narratives are stories. They are true stories, and they're purposely retelling historical events of the past, but they're intended to give meaning and direction for people in the present. So they're not just stories for story's sake. They're stories embedded with meaning, right? So even if it's a historical book. It's not just written so that people can remember their history, but it's written in a way that they can learn something from it. So they're purposeful retelling that are intended to give meaning. This is really important. They record what happened, not necessarily what should have happened. Even the biblical narratives are not just recording the good things that people did, right? They are just recording what happened, not necessarily what should have happened. They usually don't teach doctrine or theology directly. Rather, they're going to illustrate it, illustrate doctrine that's taught elsewhere. For, our, for most historical narratives, if you know the book of Deuteronomy, that's where your understanding of most historical narratives in the Old Testament comes from, is that they're illustrating how characters are interacting with the law. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow. <laughs> we're going to talk about it in the, in the following week. So there's all of these interesting laws and these different cultural elements that are happening. It's coming from the law. So if you know that or you're familiar with that, you kind of get an idea of what the characters are actually doing or not doing according to the law. So they are not discourse. Narratives are not discourse, right? It's not a sermon or it's not an epistle or a letter. But they are teaching and illustrating doctrine that's going to be found in the events and the characters in the story. Characters can be used as illustrations of what to do. And in some cases, and I would even submit to you that probably in, in many cases, the characters are portrayed as people you should not emulate. This is why I feel empathy for Sunday school teachers is because most characters in the Bible are really messed up people. I mean, there's only a handful of characters that you can find in the Bible that I would actually want to teach my children about. So Ruth is one of them. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, these are three people that there is nothing negative about them in the text. 
I can think of ones like Daniel, but most people, I mean, David, Solomon, Samson, you know, all these people that we talk about and teach our kids, it's like, you got to really understand that they're pretty messed up people, but I think that's an amazing thing about the Bible, right? That we can learn from all of these people who faithfully, as best they could, followed God, but they made mistakes. And that's actually hopeful for us, right? Unless you're like me, that's who's perfect. One thing to note is that God is always the hero in the narrative. God is always the hero. Even though God may not be seen kind of explicitly, or there may not be a prophet declaring the word of the Lord, God is always the main character that's behind the scenes. And you even see that in the book of Ruth, right? At the very end, that it's God is the one that's given kind of the, the, the praise for giving Naomi or Ruth this son. So God is at work even behind the scenes. God is always the hero in the narrative. And all narratives have these three basic parts, and we're going to work on this on chapter one in our final thing tonight, is that they have a setting, which is basically when and where the story takes place. That's the setting. Then there are characters— and then there is a plot, and the plot is kind of consists of there is going to be a conflict in the story, right? There's no good story without conflict. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, these epics, right? They have major conflict that then the story will work towards a, some sort of a resolution. And then eventually, in, in the midst of that conflict, there's going to be a climax where everything kind of comes to a head, and then eventually there's some sort of a resolution, if you're here with our Jonah class, one thing that's really fun about Jonah is that there's not really a resolution at the end. It leaves you kind of in this awkward situation, and that's the genius of it, right? It's like, this is not resolved, and you have to just sit on that and think about that. But generally speaking, there's going to be a conflict. Then there's going to be tension that kind of climaxes and eventually works toward a resolution. So those are the three main elements of historical narratives. And Something that's been really helpful for me is to, as I read and study, is to just trace these things. Because sometimes I approach historical narrative, and I just look for, I just want the information, right? I read it like it's a discourse. And sometimes I can get really frustrated because it's not giving me what I want it to give. But when I'm like, wait, that's not how I'm supposed to read it. And I say, oh, this is how I'm supposed to read it. I'm supposed to pay attention to the setting. I'm supposed to pay attention to the characters. I'm supposed to feel some of the tension in the story and know how it works towards its resolution. It brings the story to life and it makes my reading of historical narratives so much more enjoyable. So we're going to do that together on chapter one. So what I want you to do is to allow yourself to be invested in the story. Because the stories are supposed to invite you to participate, right? So it's like if you watch, I keep mentioning Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, but it's like you can't just sit there and watch it without being emotionally invested in the characters, right? In the plot. That's the, that's the point of a story. It's the same thing with biblical narratives. The narrator wants to invite you into the story and get you emotionally invested so that you can understand and feel the tension and be a part of of the actual story. So you can really 
feel the emotional circumstances of the characters and see how God is working out in their circumstances. So we're going to do something that's kind of a little bit silly, but I think it's helpful. And so I got this from, I'm going to mention his name, Tim Mackey, The Bible Project, because I like uh, him a lot. And he does this funny little thing where he, as, he'll say, as you're reading, and what I've done in mine is, as I'm reading, when I go through each paragraph, I do happy face or sad face. I know this is kind of silly, but this helps you to trace these things. So that's what we're going to do. So when you're reading, you're going to just feel like, is this a happy face or a sad face? And I promise you, once we do that, then we'll come together and we'll try to discover some of these things together. So it's kind of silly, it's kind of simple, but it's going to be actually really helpful for us to trace these things. And sometimes I even draw a little, like, slanted face where I'm like, I'm not quite sure how to feel here. So you can go crazy if you want. You can get out your emoji thing and kind of decide what you want to do. But happy face, sad face, right? Does everybody understand what I want you to do? So we go, go to chapter 1, and either, um, maybe just by yourself read it, because otherwise it might be kind of hard to listen to each table reading over each other. But what you're going to do is you're just going to reread chapter 1. It's going to have to be pretty quickly. And after you read one paragraph, just on the, in the column, just put a happy face or sad face or like, an awkward face, depending on how you feel after that paragraph. And work your way through chapter one, and then we'll come together and close. Does that make sense? Questions, just let me know.
Sorry if it's not as much time as you needed. Um, that's okay. So the reason I have you do this little exercise is because right now I'm going to just ask you a few questions about if you were able to identify some of the elements of historical narrative. And that's just a way that helps me. So it may not be helpful for you, but I think it's kind of fun. So the first question I want to ask, and we'll just do it instead of doing it by your tables, we'll just do it all together, is this. Did you identify the main conflict in the book of Ruth? So it's, I know we just did chapter 1, but based off of chapter 1 and what you know through the rest of the book, what is the main conflict that the book of Ruth is about? And who does it revolve around? It's kind of found in the first five verses. That's kind of the, the main plot of the whole book. And it revolves around one person that the rest of the book really revolves around. Malia? Okay, so exactly. So in, in the first five verses, we have like this really tragic kind of compacted setting that just gets straight to it. And pretty much everybody has died, and Naomi is pretty much left on her own. And she's in a really, really bad spot. And the whole plot and conflict of the book of Ruth concerns Naomi, because the book actually ends with who? It ends with Naomi. And do, you, do you remember what the women in the village said about the son that was born to Ruth? Whose son did they say it was? It was Naomi's son. But you're like, wait a minute, it's Ruth's son. So that's that history and that culture that we're going to get to. So the book actually should not be called Ruth. It should be actually called Naomi because Naomi is actually the person that it revolves around. So it's important for us to identify that from the very beginning. The main conflict revolves around Naomi. And the first five verses sets up the setting that the rest of the book is going to work towards to resolve, right? So that's the, that's the conflict that the book is going to work toward its resolution. And we see the resolution in chapter 4, but we're going to get there later on. What I want to ask you, too, is that there's kind of— the way the book of Ruth is divided in, this, in the English Bible is by chapters. There's four chapters, and each chapter is kind of its own little scene. And each scene has almost its own little— kind of tension and conflict in it. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think, was there any conflict? Did you feel any conflict in the first chapter besides those first five verses? Yeah, so that's a big one, right? The whole, the whole first chapter is about Naomi returning to Bethlehem, and then she has these two daughters-in-law. And the conflict is, should they go with her or should they stay? right? That's what the whole chapter is about. And so that's the conflict. And when you're reading it, you're invested in the story. And like right in the first, in that second paragraph, what face did you write on the margin after you read the second paragraph? Like, how did you feel about that? It's kind of sad, right? There's a lot of crying and hugging, and you're like, I don't know how to feel about this. There's a lot of emotions involved, right? I put a sad face. But at the very end, I kind of put like a slanted face. I was kind of like, this is kind of happy, but also really kind of sad. Yeah, really good. So that's pretty much what the chapter one is concerned with. It's concerned with this relationship between uh, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. Did you guys see, did, what, do you feel like there was a resolution at the end of chapter one? Do you feel like there was any sort of resolution? What do you guys think? 
Like, how do you feel about how chapter one ended amidst all of the conflict and tension that we see in the relational dynamic? A little bit of hope? Yes, exactly. That's, that's a great point. So at the end, it ends with this weird little thing of like, and it was the barley harvest. That's how the first chapter ends, which you're like, I don't care. But how did it open? How did the chapter one begin? Famine, meaning that there is no harvest. So it, it begins with this tragedy and this conflict, but it ends with a little bit of hope, right? It's like, oh, they return Naomi returns to her land, and there's a barley harvest. But at the same time, there's still a little bit of tension in the narrative, right? Because Naomi is still without a son. And so that's what the rest of the book is going to work towards. And so hopefully that helps a little bit with understanding how to read and what to really pay attention to when it comes to historical narratives. It's that you're tracing the characters, the setting, and the plot, and how the plot is going to be worked out eventually towards its resolution. And so uh, in the following weeks, we're going to take chapter 1, and then chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, and we're going to work through all seven steps together, chapter by chapter. But that's going to be it for tonight. Um, we're trying to end at 8.30 on these nights so you guys can get home on time or whatever. But thanks so much for coming out and for spending your evening with us. This is the worst time to ask if there's any questions because then everybody's mad if there is one person, right? If everyone's trying to leave and then the person's asking a question. But is there any questions that anybody has before we go that regard, is in regards to this, what we talked about? I mean, you could always talk to us afterwards too. All right, cool. Well, thanks to Zach for setting up the live stream. It looks awesome. And for Pastor Riz setting up everything else and running around like a madman. Uh, so hopefully you guys can join us next week. If not, you can watch it live or re-watch it later on. And if you're not able to come next week, just come when you can. And we look forward to seeing you uh, next week.